0: Uh, Allison, I want to make sure I get you in on this question because I know you're running up against the clock here a little bit. <laughs> uh, there's no there's no easy way to put this, so I'll be blunt with the hopes that it sparks some productive <laughs> discussion. Uh, of the 12 traveling fellows so far, three from other countries and nine from the U.S., Allison, you're the only woman. How did you see gender impact sports medicine in South Africa?
1: Well, I mean, we had the privilege of meeting a very diverse group of sports medicine physicians in South Africa. And so I think that really speaks to, I would say, one of the beautiful things about that country and part of why I fell in love with it is that it's a very diverse nation. And I would say, despite, you know, obviously um, the struggles that they've had um, in in the apartheid era and sort of post-apartheid, though, they're a very diverse nation and I think they really embrace that diversity. And I would say I saw that in the sports medicine colleagues that we interacted with. Um, we met as many sports medicine female physicians as we did um, male. And um, many of those female physicians that we saw were in position already in positions of leadership, going to be in positions of leadership. For example, Pato Zandi, who was our Host at Pretoria she is the current president of Sasma uh, their sports medicine organization and we've met uh, many other um, um, physicians who were you know the medical director at the you know at the um, high performance center dealing with the most you know elite athletes um, and so um, I would say at least you know again my, my Two-week impression there was that they are, in many ways, much further along than we are in terms of um, embracing the diversity, whether that's um, you know gender um, or race ethnicity, and um, it never once occurred to me that you know I was the <laughs> that I was the you know I was a, a woman, and um, because we were surrounded by so many diverse individuals the whole time we were there.
0: Uh, I'll open that question up to the rest of the group. Does anyone else have something to add in that regard?
2: Well, I, uh, you know, I was just going a little bit further uh, in South Africa. I, I I, would echo what, what Allison said. I think they are a little bit further along to a certain extent. The, the, the women that we met, uh, some of which were our hosts were in the position of authority and, uh, and for the example, the University of Pretoria pra- was that way almost exclusively. So I was quite impressed, and it, it's it's interesting. I, I had I will say this one of the one of the things. If I don't mean to, to term this too much, but one of the more interesting uh, encounters that I had when I was there was uh, Pathavandi. We see our three hosts were John. J- Patricios, who was the current president at that time of uh, SASMA, and then uh, Pat, Patos, who was going to be, to assume the presidency, and then right behind her was Pierre Vivier, who was the sort of the head of the Stellenbosch contingent, and he was going to succeed Patos. So our three hosts were the three presidents, or soon-to-be presidents, of SASMA. The the, the interesting part was PATHOS took me aside a number of times over a period of a couple of hours a couple of times wanting to know how AMSSM had gotten so powerful, so successful uh, over the course of, of the time that we had. And so we sat down and talked quite a bit about it, because uh, SASMA, of course, is much more patterned after ACSM, because their members, majority of their members are non-physician, uh, paramedical people in all the various disciplines. Interestingly enough, most of their leadership comes from their, their, uh, their, their physicians, and for the last number of years, uh, John Patricios has been the one and the only person who has been pushing asthma ahead. He had, he had pretty much carried it on his shoulders almost exclusively, and it was a big deal to have Pathos come in and succeed him. And so she was, she was really asking a lot of questions about how AMSSM he developed what we did right, what I thought they could do there, and that was a very valuable exchange. You'd have to ask uh, Pathos if, if she felt the same way. I'm pretty sure that she has. But if we contributed anything as an organization to South Africa, uh, that that is one of the major things is is to help her begin to take a look at uh, engaging other people and other physicians in the process. That really hadn't been done yet. So uh, I, I looked at that as a fairly nice moment from our standpoint of really being able to help her in that transition. Thank you, Doug.
0: Earth, did you uh, observe any impacts of the Indigenous Peoples Movement or other social movements in Australia during your time there?
3: Yeah, I mean, kind of piggybacking off of the, the question, but with the slightly different twist to, to what the South African group just described. Um, we maybe didn't experience so much with uh, diversity in terms of gender, but uh, um, Chad and Jim, feel free to chime in. But there were two instances, I would say, that reminded me of, of tension. And, and uh, I, I need to preface this by saying in the U.S., we're certainly not perfect. We have our own, um, you know, racial tension, for example, with things in Missouri and Florida in the past. But, you um, you know, when we first got to Australia, um, Jim Pupper was giving a presentation and uh, was sort of in one of his slides paying homage to uh, Ian Thorpe, who is probably the most decorated Olympic swimmer in Australian history. And just a couple of days before uh, the presentation, actually, Ian Thorpe came out as being openly gay, uh, which kind of shocked, I think, a lot of the Australian community. Um, but the the interesting thing was was uh, during the presentation, and the presentation was open to uh, not just professionals but, but to uh, people in the public too. But there there were sort of some jeers at the at the picture, even though Jim didn't necessarily say anything about um, Ian Thorpe as a swimmer, and so it sort of had that undertone of maybe potentially some areas where there may be homophobia. And then the second. Um, interesting thing was when we flew into Sydney, we uh, got a, a cab. And on our drive into Sydney, the the cab driver actually told us, you know, well, once you get outside the city, there's actually uh, quite a bit of, of racial tension, and racism. And I guess I hadn't experienced that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, from a person who's a, a minority uh, with an Indian background. I guess sometimes my my antenna is up for, for that, but I, I didn't feel any of that. I always felt welcomed uh, everywhere that I was going, but I thought it fascinating that the cab driver would, um, without us soliciting anything, he would, he sort of described the racism within the, uh, the city. And again, Chad and Jim, you can describe anything that, that you guys found, but those are two particularly uh, interesting moments um, in terms of diversity that uh, I found during our trip.
4: This is Chad. Uh, you know, one thing that I did notice, I mean, uh, similar to what Allison had stated in South Africa, you know, we interacted with many females, uh, both on the physician side as well as the physio side. But they're really, um, at least in our two-week uh, tour of uh, the three major cities of, of Australia, didn't see any um, minority sports physicians uh, or minority minority. You know, people working uh, with the teams. A lot of the athletes on the rugby side um, were minorities, but we didn't see a, a lot of uh, sports uh, professionals, um, physicians, or physios that that were minorities. But I do remember that cab ride uh, distinctly. It was uh, it was a combination of kind of shocking. Eye-opening and funny all at the same time. Just uh, that it was so unsolicited, and uh, it was just very interesting.
3: So Chad, uh, this is Earth again. We, um, I think, all of us went to that that one uh, rugby game where it was the first female referee right in, in Australian history. Um, that was a pretty interesting moment for us to be a part of, even even though I don't think many people made a big deal about it at the game itself. It was. Uh, sort of an interesting moment for us to be a part
0: of. We've certainly gone through periods of social and racial unrest in the United States, both recently with movements like Black Lives Matter and more historically with the civil rights movement, for example. And I think it's important to appreciate how these things manifest themselves in the sports world and thereby the sports medicine world. Uh, James McDonald, can you discuss some of the experiences your group had related to apartheid in South Africa?
5: It, it, it's interesting if I approach that moving backwards and actually spinning um, a little bit off the most recent com- uh, comments of our Australian colleagues and and what Doug and Allison mentioned about the diversity of the sports medicine people um, we met. What, what I think is most striking about modern South Africa is its embrace of the rainbow nation uh, concept and I, you know if you pay attention to the news there's there's definitely still a lot of um, unrest and working still through their their long and um tragic history of apartheid but it's really remarkable to see the the broad diversity of people and the broad diversity of people at at um, at high levels like we, like doug was saying i mean in positions of authority um. And, um, you know, the, the people we interacted with, for instance, in South Africa, were, would celebrate, for instance, I don't know if you, um, I'm going to say the name wrong, but Castro Samania, the, the um, uh, Olympic athlete, um, who's had, you know, issues of whether she actually truly is a woman, you know, thrown at her. Um, and the, the South Africans we met, like, they, they thought of her as a heroine. They, they, were, they were embracing her and her struggle. Um, At least when we saw this, uh, her represented in public, um, I I, I can't help but think maybe part of that is a conscious decision by so many people to put that history behind them. You know, it's been uh, the first Democratic elections, I think, were in 1994. You know, Nelson Mandela was freed from Robben Island prison in 1991. I mean, he, he literally, there were no pictures of him allowed in the 70s and 80s, et cetera. And now there are pictures of him everywhere, right? He's on, he's on the currency. He's celebrated. His statue's everywhere. He's revered. Um, so most of the history South of, of apartheid we saw, we were seeing the movement away from it and, and a real um, positive energy. You know, that said, one of the more um, striking moments in our tour there was when we went to Soweto and we went to the um, National Apartheid Museum I think we spent several hours there, and I mean, we could have uh, we could have spent a whole day for sure. Um, and it was it, it was so moving in so many ways. Part of it was the familiarity. I mean, the, the the notion that, gosh, I guess I'm just a little too young to have seen Jim Crow alive and active in the United States, and some of what I saw in the apartheid museum looked a lot at, like what I see in historical pictures of America, and some of it was at a level that uh, it was just, um, you know, apparently uh, some of the architects of apartheid had connections with Nazi Germany, know, I never knew that. I, I, I learned this through the museum. The apartheid history is there, but, but, but a lot of it is now, I think, there to learn from and to move away from, and I think the country's doing a really good job of that, uh, only a couple decades removed from that transition. It's really quite remarkable.
1: Yeah, I would just have something to add to that. This is Allison, something to add to that. Go ahead. I mean um obviously uh yeah, the visiting the apartheid museum and we actually got to visit Nelson Mandela's house and the widow and that was uh those are both amazing experiences. But probably one of the other um sort of meaningful ones for me was when we visited the Lord Shrekker monument. Um and really, that was when I, you know, was part of the Verzecer Monument is to learn about really the very early history of South Africa, centuries before apartheid came to be. And I was really struck by the similar histories of our countries in terms of people moving there from, you know, European nations for religious freedom, you know, mixing with the um, you know, the indigenous populations, you know, some of the tensions and um, sort of how apartheid came to be, I really felt like there were so many similar, so so many similarities between their history and our history. And we didn't have apartheid, but we had a version of apartheid. We had segregation. We obviously, um, I would say, Some of the civil rights um, atrocities that have happened in this country around the same era that apartheid existed were not that much different in our country than in their country. And I think uh, it really helped me to learn more about their country, the pre-apartheid history of their country and helped me take some, uh, certainly helped me sort of self-reflect on my own nation and the struggles that we're having. And I would echo Jim's sentiments. that They really, I see, I think, have embraced their history in a positive way. And the way that you move forward is to acknowledge it and learn from it. And I don't know that we are, have done that same thing here in this country in terms of... Um, and th- so the thing I loved about the Verstrucker monument was, was you know, rather than demolish it because it was erected... Jim, you may need to correct me if I'm wrong, but it was erected essentially... Around the time that, not you know, fascism and the Nazi movement and all of that and white supremacy was sort of in full force, and it was sort of like um, a symbol of that of white supremacy. And so, rather than tear it down and sort of we don't want to remember that part of their history, they they use it as an opportunity to educate people about that history. School groups go there so they can learn about it, because hopefully, obviously, that's how you grow from it, and you and you hope that it never happens again. So um, that was a really powerful moment uh, for me, and I totally agree with Jim that they really seem to have embraced that history in a positive way to learn from it, to move forward um, rather than deny it.
0: I think uh, somebody once said about travel that at the end of the day, the real purpose is not to go to somewhere else and see it as a foreign place, but to come home. And see your home as a foreign place and I think that those stories really echo that sentiment of going to a, a different country uh, and having these experiences again with the purpose of a professional exchange by having these strong cultural experiences is uh, really fantastic. Allison I know you have to get going so I just wanted to leave this uh, on a fun note can sure. you get uh, get you on the line here for one more thing so we'll go around the table this time and we'll start with Allison. If there was one thing that you could bring back from the country that you went to, what would it be? Oh, that's a
1: hard one. I seriously fell in love with South Africa, and Jim had already been there, and so he knew what a wonderful place it was. And uh, but I was just blown away with what a beautiful country it is, how beautiful the people are. I loved every bit about it. So it's hard for me to pick one thing. But um, they have fabulous wine. If I we were. <laughs> yeah. To lots of wine gifts, so but I, if I could bring one thing back, I would say it was their their they love their meat there. Um, I'm married to a meat lover here in the United States. If I could have brought back some what they call bervers, is that how you say it, Jim? I think. Bervers? Yeah,
2: bervers. Yep.
1: They're they're uh, like um, sausages, were just like t- to die for. And I seriously thought about could I could I sneak them through customs, but I elected to not. <laughs> uh, there we go. Not take
0: the chance. <laughs> yeah, now, 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 now you now you got the thrust of the question, so I think that'll get the ball rolling. Earth, if there was one thing from Australia you could bring back,
3: well, I guess the um, we'll do the we'll do the academic one first. I think the marriage between research and sport there, to me, seemed like it was um, it was ahead of where we are here, and I really liked that uh, John Orchard kind of captured that with Australian rules football, uh, some of the research that he did um, kind of laying out a platform for all of the teams to funnel research about PCL injuries leading to a rule change with uh, what they call the rough, which is, um, you know, when, when the athletes sort of, it's like a, a tip off in basketball, only the athletes run at each other and try to uh, try to get the ball. And so I think, That was just a testament to, I think, the marriage between, again, research and sport. Uh, From a fun thing, um, actually something that I wouldn't bring back, but I think would be funny anyway, is uh, Vegemite. Um, I had a really good time (laughs) eating uh, meat pies and sushi and Thai, um, and everybody had built up this Vegemite that that, uh, was supposed to be fantastic in Australia, and it's just not not for Earth. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, Vegemite is this uh, spread, kind of a, I guess a thick black spread with some, some veggies that you put on things like toast or crackers and and uh, we tried it and uh, I can say I tried it and it would be something that I would not bring back other than to say if I brought it back uh, for others to try to see if they might have a similar, similar reaction.
0: A white elephant gift, so to speak. Uh, Chad, one thing that you would consider bringing back?
4: If I could um, just, Sort of bottle up the sporting culture that Australia had. Um, there was a real connection with, um, with every city and every person with their sport. And, and Doug kind of alluded to this in South Africa, how you know teams were sponsored by essentially communities. But it seemed like everywhere you went in Australia, there was a sporting culture, and, and people just really love their sport. Um, sort of differently than they do in America, and I really, really enjoyed that uh, sporting culture that Australia had. I think IRF uh, may have laid the Vegemite on a little bit too thick. I think if you put it over a thin layer of butter, uh, it's not quite as bad. So, uh, you know, I enjoyed the Vegemite, um, um, and it was interesting that uh, you could get kangaroo just about any way that you wanted in Australia, which at first seemed kind of like, well, you know, I don't really want to eat kangaroo, but then when you learn that they're like squirrels in Australia, you know, it just seemed like might as well. But uh, those were some of the things that uh, that I, I would think about bringing back.
0: We'll have to work on bottling the Australian essence of sport. I think that might be a million-dollar idea. Uh, James McDonald?
5: Well, I mean, I can say one thing I did bring back is I brought back a box of rooibos tea. Um, the You can get rooibos tea in the United States, but for, uh, every time I find it, it's all adulterated with, like, vanilla, or they I always feel obliged to add something to it. And straight-up rooibos tea, just it's Afrikaans for red bush. It's their native um, tea. Uh, it's I don't know, maybe it's even more like sassafras tea, as in, this is what the pioneers drank. But it it's got a great flavor. I love it. And I can't get plain rooibos tea in the United States, so I brought back. Last thing I did was go to a little um, supermarket and uh, stash a box of 80 of them, 80 tea bags, into my, um, into my little bag. And then, I, so I did bring that back, and then if I just, in the spirit of your question, if I could, or in spinning off something Chad said, if I could bottle up that venue that Doug alluded to, the, the rugby field in Stellenbosch, looking at those mountains and the training room has a beer pub right next door to it. If I could just like hang out on that rugby pitch, uh, drinking beer and gazing out at the uh, mountains of Stellenbosch, um, I would bring that all back home for
4: sure. Doug?
2: I certainly, uh, I sort of looked, I sort of stepped back a little bit. I, I sort of figured that, uh, not only am I a be a lever in the traveling fellowship, and the, and the fact that it it uh, it serves AMSSM so well, but it uh, but I really enjoyed watching the junior fellows be develop and become the ambassadors that they were during during the, the course of the whole experience. I. Personally, I you know, I see the, the sort of future of where things are, and uh, I know they learned a lot. I know I learned a lot. As far as bringing something back, I would bring back the champagne that we tasted. In fact, yeah. oh, gosh, I did bring back the champagne that we
6: did.
2: <laughs> uh, it, was, it was wonderful, and uh, and I can't wait to go back to, a, to a there. I asked the Pierre one time, our host, why don't we see this kind of wine and champagne in the United States? And the answer was that the, that the uh, apartheid ban mm-hmm. extended to, to trade with South Africa as well at one point. And the wine growers in South Africa never truly recovered from that. So, so while they do export a lot, uh, the export to the United States isn't close to what it was, and that's that's a shame. That uh, you know, that's the type of thing that I think people need to to take a look at and and uh, realize that South Africa is probably doing as much if not more for bettering their country at the present time, unfortunately than I think we are. So, I look forward to uh, to for, to further extending our relationship in the future. I, I, I really, truly believe that this is this really serves AMSSM extremely well.
0: And, Jim Puffer, I'll give you a final word. Well, uh, I
6: think uh, one of the things that was one of the most impressive things that I saw there, and certainly something that has not been um, tried in the United States as far as I know, was our opportunity in Canberra to see the very unique relationship that had been cultivated between um, um, a professional um, Australian rules football team and uh, one of the major universities uh, in Canberra. The training facility for the team uh, was built right on the, on the campus with a uh, 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 an exceptional sports medicine research facility, which was going to be uh, utilized by university faculty to uh, to um, further uh, investigation uh, into all aspects of, uh, of, of uh, Australian rules football through this through this uh, professional team that, that uh, had essentially uh, set up shop. Uh, at the university, and it provided uh, a tremendous learning laboratory uh, that uh, went both ways. Certainly, the team, I think, benefited immensely from the academic resources and the research expertise that the university brought uh, to the enterprise, and obviously the university benefited from having uh, a learning laboratory, if you will, right on campus with uh, elite-level athletes to uh, to study and and um, uh, certainly to to help. So that was certainly one uh, unique concept that uh, uh, I really have not seen uh, embraced anywhere else. Uh, really, you see either a corporate approach or um, or a federal approach, but uh, or an act or a, a, a university based approach, but never one where professional university uh, interests are are wed quite in that fashion. I I would echo Doug's sentiment with respect to um, the the benefit of of, uh, the Traveling Fellowship for uh, not only providing visibility for our society internationally, but uh, most importantly to allow our members to experience things that they otherwise would not uh, experience in the United States. And I think Earth and Chad would would agree that we felt very fortunate that we were sort of the first group to have the opportunity to uh, experience this. And uh, one of the great things that uh, I brought back that I hadn't expected to bring back was uh, two new great friends uh, in uh, colleagues that I suspect uh, I'll have relationships with until uh, the day comes when I leave this earth. But uh, it was a, it was an incredibly rewarding experience and one that uh, I think we, we all benefited from uh, in more ways than we can capture in a 60-minute conversation.
0: For a moment there, I thought you were going to e- echo Doug's sentiments on the benefits of champagne, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I think that was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was really great, everybody. I really appreciate everyone's um, hard work and thinking about these questions. Um, we have probably an hour of good content, but I want to give folks an opportunity before we go. Is there anything that you feel that we didn't touch on that really, uh, you know, warrants addressing?
4: Chris, uh, this is Chad. Um, I think you know one of the the real benefits for the the traveling fellowship. I know we saw another. We saw another country. We saw another way that they practice medicine and sports medicine. But really, um, and I don't want to speak for Earth, I'll let him talk. But I think, you know, the opportunity for Earth and I to spend two weeks with uh, with Jim Puffer and, and get the the mentoring and, and just kind of the insight uh, that you know you don't often have the opportunity to get two weeks to spend with. Uh, with really a, a leader in the, in the field of sports medicine, a pioneer, you know, and, and that was just as valuable, if not more valuable than the things we learned from our Australian colleagues, but just, um, you know, I really, really treasured uh, the opportunity to spend that time with Jim and to learn from him and sort of, uh, kind of hear how, uh, sports medicine came to be in America and in Jim's part in it. And so, Thank you to Jim for uh, for being a great role model and mentor during that trip. I know I, I certainly appreciated it. So thank you.
3: Yeah, same, same here from from uh, my side. Um, this is Earth. I I would say that that was probably for me. It was even a little more valuable because not only did I get the two weeks there, but I think as Jim and Chad are are, uh, are trying to say it's that you know this is something that's going to last past the the traveling fellowship and. And part of what, I guess, my career trajectory and what I'm trying to do is establish, um, you know, leaders in sports medicine. And I think you can't be a leader in sports medicine unless you sort of understand where we came from. And I think I really got a, a nice perspective, both with Chad and I did, when spending the time with, with Jim. So, um, and just hearing, again, not just aMS but how his career evolved, um, it, it made me want to... Um, you know, jump in with, uh, you know, both feet first at o- different opportunities and uh, um, also be on the lookout for, for things that might be on the horizon. So, uh, again, thank you uh, to Jim for lending us his expertise.
5: So, I, 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 I would want to say this coming from the South African, and I speak for Allison, too. I mean, obviously, the same thing goes on our end with Doug. I mean, almost everything you just said, Earth and Chad would be coming from our end too. I mean, it's like an exceptional opportunity, like maybe two weeks in a row to amble down to whatever great place we were staying in and like have breakfast with Doug and just chat about his years taking care of Magic Johnson as the Michigan State team doc or what it took to create AMSSM. Um, I mean, I don't know what, who thought of the idea of pairing a ju- two juniors and a senior? But it was it was magic because it, it, I don't know if the intent was, hey man, we need a chaperone to keep those young people in check and not go crazy overseas. Because if that's what it is, it's, it didn't work. But um, <laughs> but uh, but but it, it was it's it is it's it's a brilliant pairing because I mean everything Chad Nerf just said, you know, I mean. if In theory, we're the the up-and-coming sports medicine people. We're the people who may craft what this discipline is going to look like over the next couple decades, and it's it's great to learn from the people who were there on the ground when it didn't even exist, and they created it. It it was quite amazing.
1: Yeah, I would just add to that, um, just expand on that, really. Just a unique opportunity and really... um, Opportunity, blessing, really, to, to have two weeks of really sort of uninterrupted time to spend with other human beings. I think in our busy, hectic sort of modern lives, the ability to sort of disconnect from, you know, electronic devices and EMRs and all that is really difficult. And so just to be able to have time to spend with other human beings, get to know them, talk, have conversations, the willingness of our South African colleagues to give up an unbelievable amount of their professional and personal time to spend with us and to just sit over many bottles of wine, um, to talk about a wide range of things. It was just unbelievable time with other human beings that I think we forget are so important, not just at the professional level, but at the personal level as well. And so that's, uh, as you guys have alluded to, sort of that's something I will cherish for the rest of my life, the time to, to spend that kind of time with other human beings um, that it's hard to sort of carve out, you know, in our own lives when we get back home. And so it just makes it that much more special.
0: Uh, travel is really exceptional in the way that it uh, makes us uh, open and available to not only our traveling partners, but to our hosts overseas. Uh, I think on that note, we all owe a great thank you to AMSSM for putting together this fantastic program and for continuing the Traveling Fellowship, uh, which just concluded in Italy in December of 2016, and will be going to the UK in 2017, and uh, here's to uh, future success in the program. A great thank you to our guests today, Drs. Allison Brooks, Chad Asplund, Irf Asif, Jim McDonald, Doug McKeague, and Jim Pupper. Please visit the AMSSM website for more podcasts in this series. This has been Dr. Chris Bigazinski, and until next time, bon voyage.